Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Um, I don't know why. I love to sing songs about heaven. I just, as a believer, that is one of my, I know that years ago, if you look back in music literature, in the Baptist church especially, nearly every song that was written in the, in, well, during the Depression was about heaven. Because, many, you know, if there's anybody here that lived through the Depression, heaven was much more glorious than what we were going through here on earth. And they were longing to go home. They were longing to see heaven. And, uh, you know, and that's, of course, now we live in a, in a comfortable world, in a comfortable society, um, in our own world. And we don't see quite as many songs about heaven and desiring to go home. But this one's always one of my favorites. I bowed on my knees and cried holy. I want to 
see Jesus cause he's the one who died for me and I bowed on my knees and cried holy 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 I clapped my hands and sang Son of God, oh, I bowed on my knees and sing holy, holy Lord, you are holy. I clapped my hands and sing. the Son of God. I sing glory to the Son of God. Amen. Ooh. You ever think about heaven? Think about why microphones make funny noises when you put them on? Think about what the first thing you think you might do, the first thing you think you might see. And then I think what's even better is when I realize that I don't have the capacity to imagine the glory that will surround me when I see my Savior face to face. I I can think of people that I will look for. I can think of songs that I'll sing. I'll think of going to shake the hand of Paul or Peter or Barnabas. But truth be told, my mind can't fathom heaven. I don't have a clue what I'll do when I get there. But I know I'll praise Jesus. And that just blows my mind. I love that song, My Mother sang that song often when I was growing up. And uh, I knew that was the song that uh, you were planning on singing. That's why I offered to sing it. I knew the words. So, uh, But it turned out you probably made a good decision. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. This Sunday evening we find ourselves back in the book of James. For the first time since before Christmas. So we haven't been in the book of James together since before Christmas due to uh, sickness and 
inclement weather and holiday schedules and special services and I don't know what all else has happened, but we have not been in the book of James for, for about a month. Now, knowing that, uh, I gave some thought to doing kind of a review type sermon to bring us back up to speed with where we were, but I knew that here in just a few weeks we'll be finished with the book of James, believe it or not, and uh, I was going to do kind of a, a recap sermon at the end. I've already, uh, God's kind of placed it on my heart back about chapter 3, uh, so I knew that was coming up, so I decided that you guys being as just smart as you are, that we could probably just pick right back up. And you would not have forgotten anything that we studied a month ago. And the things that you had forgotten would divinely come to the forefront of your attention before the message was over. So we're just going to pick right up where we were before we left. And this evening we come to a text that really deals with the theme of being patient. Of having patience, we might say, during our trials, during our experiences on this earth as believers. And now we need to point out that in this passage, we're dealing with patience, we're dealing with trials, we're dealing with persecutions, we're dealing with those things, uh, but we've already dealt with that. Some of you might think to yourselves, well, back in chapter 1, uh, Brother Jason, way back in, in like September, you preached about trials and you preached about how we handle those trials and how that's a mark of ourselves as a believer. But uh, I want to be, be clear that we actually have... Two separate words that we're dealing with here in the Greek, uh, and they actually make a difference. I try my best not to do a whole lot of Greek word studies from the pulpit. It drives me crazy when preachers do that, but this, this one really matters. It, it really does matter. I think it changes kind of the meaning. Back in chapter 1, the word that's used to explain it is a word for talking about trials and things externally, conflicts and circumstances that go on. But here specifically... He's talking about patience in trials that come from dealing with people. James has been talking about uh, being oppressed by the rich in the introduction to chapter 5 and how the rich would oppress the righteous and how the wicked would oppress the righteous. And he's talking about as believers, as righteous believers, we should have long-suffering, we should have patience as we endure trials and persecutions from people. Anyone ever endure a persecution or a trial that you felt like was the result of another people or another person, I suppose would be a better English way of saying that. If you haven't, congratulations, give it time, you will. And if you have, think on, think on it with me as to how we respond to that. Because how we respond to those trials is a mark of who we are and whose we are as believers. In fact, the very word for patience, when you break it down, comes from two words that mean long and tempered. Long and tempered. So to be patient is to be long-tempered. Well, that is the opposite of what? Somebody help me out. Short-tempered. To be a hothead. So to be patient is the exact opposite of being a hothead in response to how you deal with with people. And so James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, he is literally in the context of being slow to anger and respond in hot-headedness when others bring about your suffering. Do not retaliate. Be 
patient. So how do we do this? I believe tonight we're going to look at six keys to being patient in trials with other people. And please stand, if you're able, for the reading of the words of our holy God from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. And therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold the judge standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And let us divide it properly together tonight that nothing would be said in error but everything would be done to your glory and we promise to praise you for what you do because it's in your holy name that we pray as all God's people said and amen you may be seated so the first thing that we're going to see as we look to how we be patient as we endure these trials, is one, we need to anticipate the coming of Christ. We need to anticipate the coming of Christ. So what does that even have to do with it? Well, it's kind of this mindset. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're enduring, guess what? It won't be like this forever. It won't be like this forever. You need to anticipate the coming of Christ because it's a symbol and a signal that it won't be like this forever. Worst case scenario, it's only going to be like this the rest of this life. But good news, if you're a believer, you got a next life that goes on forever. So it's not going to be like this forever. Now chances are it won't even last very long in the big scheme of things in this life. But let's just say it does. That's just a drop in the bucket to eternity. In glory, So we need to anticipate the coming of Christ. James doesn't really pull any punches as he gets into verse 7. He jumps right out when he says just exactly that. Therefore be patient, brethren, until what? The coming of the Lord. You ever feel like that in a circumstance? Lord, just get me to heaven and let's do it in a hurry. I've had all this I can take. Lord, I don't think I can endure another moment of this trial just take me to glory and be done with it. I don't know that I can handle another moment of what this person has done to me or what pain it has caused me or what the experience is doing to me. God, come quickly and just take me on. I'd just soon go to glory as endure another moment. And sometimes we feel that way when we deal with what people do to us and how these things affect us. God... Some of us might even have this thought, and I'm not saying it's completely wrong, but we might even say, God, would you just take me on because I'm fixing to retaliate against this person and what they're doing to me. But when he uses this, this word here for, for coming, when he says until the coming of the Lord, he, he's not really just referring to the arrival 
of Jesus in the sense of, of, of like we arrived at church tonight uh, and then we were physically here. It's kind of a, an encompassing word that talks about the physical arrival and the presence of Jesus arriving. And really, so James writes this, he's saying, endure through these trials and as you endure these trials... If you're going to make it, it's going to be with your eyes on Christ awaiting his presence in his return. His very presence as it encompasses us in our return. And that is, that's the hope for a believer, isn't it? That is the hope that we have. It is in the return of Christ. It is in his presence. And James uses a, an example to us and he draws attention to, to the farmer. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He, he, he kind of points this out and he says, what's the farmer do? He says, well, the farmer, what, plants his seeds and he waits for the harvest. The farmer plants his seeds and he waits for the harvest. Now, in this area of the world, the early and latter rains are referring to the fact that they really have two rainy seasons. One's in the fall, that would be the early rain, and then he would go through the, the November, December months, get in the first year, and then they'd have the, the latter rain. And then after that, that is when they would normally have their harvest time. And so a lot hinges on those rains. If there's too much rain, the crops can be ruined. If there's not enough rain, the crops can be ruined. And so the farmer plants the seed, he awaits the rains to see do the rains fall the way they need to fall, that my crops are going to grow the way they need to grow, that my harvest is going to be what I need it to be, that I can eat again all year this year. That's essentially what James is pointing to. And it's literally the idea of enduring while you wait for something that is outside of your control. It's outside of your control. Can the farmer control the rains? Of course not. For that matter, can the farmer even control whether the seed takes root and grows the way it's supposed to? Of course not. What can the farmer control, though? Whether or not he ever sows the seeds, right? Whether or not he ever does this work that he's supposed to do. And it's outside of his control. Verse 8, he says to us again, Be patient. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's continuously pointing to us that as we endure, we endure because we anticipate the coming of Christ. It won't be like this for long. This persecution that you endure, this suffering, it won't last for long because the Savior is returning. When's he coming? I don't know. I have no idea when he's coming. But I know that he's coming. I don't know what day, but I know it could be today. There's nothing prophetically left to be accomplished that has to be accomplished before the Savior could return again. So it, it could happen any time. He could tarry for a long time. So I don't know when he's coming back, but I know that he's coming back. And so the first thing we're going to see if we are going to endure... <coughs> is that we're going to have to anticipate the coming of Christ. But the second thing we're going to see is we need to endure because we don't want to sin. We don't want to sin. What's he say in verse 9? He tells us not to do something. 
Don't grumble against one another. Why? Lest you be condemned or judged. And where's the judge at? You may help me. Make sure you're paying attention. Where's the judge? Who's the judge? And he's standing where? What's that mean? Come back anytime. We just said we're anticipate the coming of Christ. The, the picture that James is drawing, is it, it would be like literally we would have this thought that Jesus could come swooping through that door at any moment. Why is that the picture we should have? Because Jesus could come swooping in at any moment. And what do we want to be doing when Jesus returns? Enduring patiently or grumbling with one another over a persecution that somebody has caused us? You see, far too often, far too often, what do we do when somebody has caused strife for us? Somebody's done something to me. It's caused me a problem. It's brought me down. Somebody else, I feel like somebody else is to blame for this situation that I'm in. What's the first thing we want to do? We want to we gripe to somebody, don't we? We want to grumble against one another, either directly to that person or about that person behind that person's back. That's what we really, that's our first inclination, isn't it? But what does James say? What if Jesus comes back while you're acting that way? Is that what you want to be doing when Jesus steps out on a cloud to call his children? When Gabriel toots the horn, do you want to be griping about what somebody else did? Or do you want to be enduring patiently with long-suffering the way that you've been commanded to do as a believer? So we should endure, one, because we know he's coming back, and two, because we don't want to be sinning when he does. Third thing we can do to endure patiently is we can follow those who have already endured. Look at verse 10 with me. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. What a beautiful verse to consider for believers now who have been persecuted. What a beautiful verse to consider for those who proclaim the name of the Lord. Consider those who have already done it. Think about all those who have preached the gospel in front of you, of all those who have gone before you and done what you're doing, think of them as you endure this trial. Because if they made it, you can make it. If they depended on God, you can depend on God. And James is really writing most likely about the prophets of the Old Testament here. Probably from the Old Testament through about John the Baptist. That's who James is really referring to here. And what he's saying is essentially this. I want you to think about Moses. Consider that Moses was a prophet of God, but he had to endure a stiff-necked and rebellious people. I want you to think about David, who was anointed as a king, and he had to endure being hunted like an animal by Saul. I want you to consider Elijah, that he was persecuted by the wicked Israel leaders that were supposed to be his king and queen. I want you to consider Jeremiah, who became known as the lamenting prophet or the weeping prophet because of all the suffering that he endured. I want you to think of Ezekiel, who lost his very wife as an illustration to the people of what was coming for them. 
I want you to think of Daniel, who was put into a den of lions because he chose to obey God. I want you to think of Hosea, who had quite a disastrous marriage. And I want you to think of John the Baptist, who lost his head for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how, my friends, can we endure? We can look at those who have gone before us and endured far more than we're enduring for the sake of the gospel. And we can know that it can be done. So what, what about today? Take it even a step further. What does this mean to us? We might say things like, think of Martin Luther who stood against a corrupt church and said the people deserve to have the Scripture in their hands and not be told what they should or should not believe. Changing the course of church history completely. Giving us an opportunity to have an English written Bible in our hands. That I'm not standing up here telling you in Latin what I think you should get out of the Scriptures. We should say, think of the D.L. Moody's who preached mightily when it wasn't popular and came from England to the United States and went back to England and preached and preached through the Chicago fires and gave gospel invitations that people would get saved. Get even more personal than that. Say, I'm going to think of my grandmother who prayerfully stood and faithfully prayed for her ten children. That they would serve the Lord. One's a pastor, four are deacons. My mom is singing in the choir. And all four of my other aunts were singing somewhere this morning. And you have those people in your life. Faithfully consider those that have gone before you and endured. And it should help you to endure as well. Fourth way that we can endure our trial patiently is to understand the Lord's blessings. Get verse 11 with me. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. You've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He says, count them blessed. That word for blessed there could be translated happy just as often as it's translated blessed. Count those as happy who endure. Those who are enduring should consider it a blessing that they have an opportunity to endure. You ever think about that in your trial? As you're going through this storm in this season, you should count it a blessing because God blesses abundantly those who endure. Can I point out that typically God doesn't bless mightily those that do great things as much as he blesses mightily those who endure great things? So remember that in your storms, that God blesses those who endure. Fifth, we need to realize the Lord's purpose for the trial. We need to realize the Lord's purpose for the trial. He says, you've heard of the endurance of Job. We all know the story of Job, don't we? You've heard of the long-suffering. You've heard of his endurance. And you have seen the intended purpose of the Lord. You've seen the purpose intended by the Lord. Consider those trials and persecutions, James says. He says, consider that in them the Lord has a purpose in your life. Think about Job's story. All the hardship. 
all the persecution, all the pain that he endured, yet as he remained faithful in the end, the Lord blessed him beyond anything he had had before. But was his true blessing the financial gifts that he received at the end or the the land and the cattle and all of those things? Was that really the blessing? I don't think so. I think the true blessing from Job came when he said this. He said, I have heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see you, and I repent in dust and ashes. What did Job mean by that? Job said, God, I now know that you are truly God. And before my suffering, in my good times, I couldn't see you the way that I do now after my bad times. Job said, before, I knew you because I'd heard about you. I knew you because I believed in you. But now I know you because I've seen you. I've seen you in my suffering. So what were some of the purposes that God had with Job? One was to test his faith, prove that it was real. Second, though, it was to strengthen his faith, that he could see God more clearly. So how can we endure? Can you handle that thought that God has a greater purpose for your suffering? God has a greater purpose for your suffering. Think of what else. Think of what else was accomplished through his suffering. God showed Satan that there was truly a faithful man. What did Satan say? Let me take the stuff, and he won't be faithful. But he was. So that was was Job, Pastor. That's a book of the Bible, Pastor, of course. It worked out that way for Job, pastor. Of course God was accomplishing a purpose through Job's suffering. It's Job, brother Jason. I'm just me. According to Romans 8.28, God has a bigger purpose in your suffering as well. That's where he says that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. He's got a bigger purpose in your suffering. How can we endure? By recognizing that God has a purpose in our suffering. Now, I'm sorry. I wouldn't make a very good joy boy because I don't believe in standing up and telling you that if you'll smile big enough, all your suffering is going to go away. I'd rather tell you the truth and tell you if you'll pray hard enough and you lean on God strong enough that your suffering may not go away, but he'll perfect you as you go through it. And you'll come out the other side closer to him than you were when you went in. So how else can we endure the last thing? Is we can understand the character of the Lord. Understand the character of the Lord. Do you ever have a trial and kind of start to question God and maybe even question his character. God, do you even know I'm still here? God, do you even know I'm still suffering? God, do you even care? 
about what I'm going through? You ever have those thoughts or am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Look at what he says at the end of verse 11. He tells us, just reminds us of what God's character is. He says, the Lord is what? Compassionate and merciful. He is compassionate and merciful. If he wasn't merciful, we would all be doomed for hell. The fact that we have hope shows us that he is merciful to us. So maybe the darkness of some trial you're enduring, maybe some persecution, maybe there's suffering in your marriage, maybe there's trial in your workplace, maybe a child is wayward and prodigal and departed, maybe a relationship in your family isn't correct, maybe there's a decision that you can't make and somebody is standing against you, it seems, at every turn. We have to remember to endure it patiently by anticipating the coming of the Lord because we don't want to be grumbling if he comes back. We've got to recognize it has a greater purpose. See those that have gone before us and endure and perhaps most importantly remember the character of the Lord that he is compassionate and merciful. He will not leave us. He will never forsake us. Let's pray. Father God, God, we thank you for the book of James. God, we look to the book of James, we recognize that it's not merely words on paper, but it is a test of our faith. And that as we look at our enduring of trials, we can test our faith by asking ourselves, do I endure patiently? looking to Christ, recognizing that you are compassionate and merciful? Or do I find myself grumbling against the goat? God, if there be someone here walking through the valley of death's shadow right now, give them the courage to come and lay it at your feet. say, God, I can't, but you can, and you will. God, have your way in our lives, and it is in your precious name that we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.